Filmmaker Commentary, episode 38. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary, where we give you insights from our favorite filmmaking commentaries. These commentaries can be heard on your DVD and Blu-rays of your favorite movies. We'll show you how you can use these commentaries and apply them to improve your video production and filmmaking techniques. All of this here on Filmmaker Commentary. I'm your host, Reginald Titus Jr. Welcome to another episode of Filmmaker Commentary. I'm Reginald Titus Jr. I'm joined with... Casey G. Smith. Welcome back, sir. Good to be back, sir. So today we're talking about John Carpenter's Halloween. Directed and written by John Carpenter. This is his third feature film. Like his producer said it was his second, and then he said it was his third. So I don't know who to believe. Aha. <laughs> IMDb time. IMDb time. So, okay, so you've got Dark Star, yeah, in 74. Mm-hmm. Which he was director on, and then Assault on Precinct 13 in 76, and then Halloween in 78. Ha! So, the director should know what he directed. Yes. But Deborah, she did kind of call some stuff out. She was, um, one thing she was like, uh, this is the only nude scene in the film. Like, no, nah, there was some more. <laughs> we see. <laughs> I have eyes. Cool. So, uh, what year was Halloween? What year did Halloween come out? 1978. Man, 1978. John Carpenter's Halloween, directed and co-written by John Carpenter. This is his third feature film, and he co-wrote it with uh, Deborah, who was also a producer in the film. And his girlfriend. Also, yeah, girlfriend. Hey, that's a good way to collab. <laughs> Collabo. Uh, we had a budget of 325000 Box office mode just $47 million domestically. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they weren't showing much outside of that because, you know, how old the title is. They didn't share as many numbers as they do this day. Even if they're created. <laughs> Just lie to us. Tell us. I bet it made way more money than that. Okay, so I'm going to jump into the synopsis. On a black and unholy Halloween night years ago, a little Michael Myers brutally slaughtered his sister in cold blood. But for the last 15 years, town residents have rested easy knowing that he was safely locked away in a mental hospital. Until tonight. Tonight, Michael returns to the same quiet neighborhood to relive his grisly murder again and again and again. For this is a night of evil. Tonight is Halloween. How were you introduced to this film and did you watch it again or did you just listen to the commentary? What did you do? So I didn't actually see this film (laughs) until about a year ago. Mm -hmm. I'd always heard about Halloween. I would see Michael Myers and I was like, ah, this guy looks weak. Right. This guy looks weak. He looks whack. And so I, I, I paid him no credence, no attention. I, right. And I honestly thought he was a ripoff of Jason as far uh-huh. as a slasher. I didn't realize that he came first. There you go. And Represent. that this film set the slasher genre into motion. So mm-hmm. my apologies, Mr. Carpenter, Mr. Myers. The originator. And Miss Curtis and all those involved. Having a chance to watch this, I, I, I love being able to just kind of dive in and focus in on the film and let it be and, and see it for I, I can I can kind of look past the time period when stuff was made and just right. get lost in the film itself mm-hmm. and let it be and experience it. I was impressed with with the pacing. Yeah, so the, a year ago is when I when I saw it and I was like, wow, it it had some some genuine fright to it mm-hmm. and suspense. And so for this, I rewatched it again because I, I definitely want to see it again. Watched it on on, on Blu-ray and then uh, of course then did the the commentary with some special facts tracks that you could you could bring up uh, yeah. that played initially when i when i turned it on i turned those on and i couldn't figure out how to turn them off like, and i had to restart the film like eight times i was like how do i turn things off i, I finally figured it out but uh yeah so uh, yeah it was worth revisiting how about you man 
this was my first time watching it. I knew about the character, but that's about it. But same thing with Jason. I've seen some Jason, some of the kill sequences and things like that. And, but since I started studying films, I've started kind of getting the horror a little bit more. It's truly a universal, you know, genre. You know, everybody gets scared. You know, same thing with action. You know, action is one of those genres, especially for guys. It's like, even if you don't know the language, you see that there's conflict happening. That's a good point. That's a really mm-hmm. good point. So um, I'm really liking horror right now. Now that we're studying some of the classics, I'm like, no wonder why the independent people start here. <laughs> you know, it's because, you know, you can make film that's low budget and have a lasting impression. Mm-hmm. That's true. With no, And you don't have to have stars. So you can kind of get into the game cheaply. But at any rate, so I watched it last week. Well, actually, I watched it today. <laughs> I watched it today. All right. <laughs> I watched it today and watched the commentary today. And uh, wow. So it's fresh. Yeah, I can look. I'm saying like with you, I can look past the like time period, you know, because to me, it feels like you're going back in time and you're just reading a story from another time. That's what it feels like when I'm watching these movies. It's almost timeless in a way, though. You know how I agree the movie uh, It Follows, you know, they didn't really have cell phones. I don't think in that film when they were in, and then we're following the teenagers in that film. The, I'm like every now and then you're like where are the adults at? Like all this stuff is going on, but where are the adults? <laughs> like you ask yourself that and, that, and this situation that's what's going on you don't the uh, parents are like kind of like idiots in a way (laughs) (laughs) well they're kind of just out doing doing their doing their thing and this is also that that different time in in life where right you know friday night or halloween night i mean you know people are going out and And that's when you know what during the trick-or-treat sequence when you see them that's when you see a few parents here and there yeah. But like the main characters, I'm like, where are they? You see Jamie Lee Curtis, her character, her dad for like a a quick second, you know, that he's a realtor and he's off to work. But like he's working really that late. You know, like, where is he at? Where's her mom? Like, we don't know backstory. But we're not at their house either. They're, they're probably they're back at the house, their house. But because she's at somebody else's house. Right. I don't know. It, yeah, it's I'm like, like <laughs> and you figure it's Halloween night. Shouldn't there be just the streets just littered with people trick or treating? Yeah. So there's a few things there. I'm like, ah. Budget. It's a thin Halloween. <laughs> Budget. This street's not known for that good candy, so they just. So I just dove in and uh, really appreciated it, and um, the filmmaker and me is like kind of scrutinizing it, noticing that it was anamorphic. I did appreciate that, mm-hmm. but uh, I think overall it's a solid piece. Overall solid piece, and, uh, and then just followed up by watching the commentary. Did you watch it by yourself, or did you watch it with your wife? This time I watched it solo. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. No, I take that back. Man, my brain is just shot out right now, bro. Uh, <laughs> I watched the first part of it, the first 12 minutes by myself, and then she kind of came in, and I said, you want to watch this? And then I didn't rewind it, but I just brought up the speed. This is what happened. Okay, <laughs> you know, okay. Going up to Jamie Lee Curtis's character. Uh, but it turned out she she enjoyed it. No, did, did you feel any genuine, did it feel scary to you? Not at, at all. all. Not at all. Gotcha. There are some suspenseful things. Suspenseful. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if it was at, maybe if I watch it at nighttime, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that changes things. If you watch it at night and it's quiet, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, when the, I watch, when I watch things, I'm like just like you know, I don't really have many distractions. So I'm able to like just you know zone in. If I want to bring the lights down, then you know I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, <laughs> not all the time. This is one of those films like it's uh, it's a little bit scary, but I, the I think the things that probably scare me a little bit more are probably like the supernatural scary films. Mm-hmm. Like we were talking about paranormal activity. Like I, if you're in a theater and you just closed in, you're locked in, you ain't got nowhere to go. Man. Like uh, yeah, that one with again I, I watched that one with surround sound <laughs> by myself. That's when I, I made me turn the lights on. The first couple of times that bass again, boom, boom. Oh, 
click, click. Lights out, lights out. My phone charge? Okay, we're good. Play. <laughs> yeah, those to me are the like scary ones right there. Yeah. Something where you feel like it can happen in real life. You mm-hmm. know, like not saying that getting stabbed by a knife, you know, could not happen. That could be pretty real. Yeah, that can be pretty real. That, you know, getting shot, stabbed, you know, things like that. Yeah, for sure that can happen. But something about like just stuff coming out of your TV and living with you that you can't do anything about. Yeah. <laughs> We, I think I think maybe partially as guys, we kind of feel like, I like oh, this sucker was coming at me, you know, moving that slow. I mean, I could maybe do something, but this guy just keeps coming. The like, slowest walk, too. Oh, but like no matter what, he's like he just he just do, 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 steadily do, do, do. coming for you. I'm I'm actually interested in looking at Jason, his origin story, and kind of going back and looking at that, just kind of seeing how, like, these people, or, like, Jason, how he's able to, like, teleport and move quickly, and, like, he's walking just as slow. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. <laughs> then you have to watch the first the first two, Friday the 13th, okay. one and one and two, which... It's I, dark, man, like, the, I just discovered the backstory, and when you were telling me about the video game mm-hmm. of this, I'm like, this is kind of dark, way dark. Yeah, it kind of makes sense too, because you know how you know terrible kids can be when you making fun of people with disabilities and things like that. So it brings that part into it. I'm like, mm-hmm. God, wow! Just thinking about like watching that that <laughs> gives me this slightly gives the willies like, and it has that supernatural part of it. You know, like not saying that this one doesn't, but it, maybe they had more of a budget or something. I don't know, but but yeah, I'm, I'm interested though to to go back and check and and, and check it out without you know. I don't know if you guys spoilers. If you haven't seen Friday the Thirteenth, the first Friday the Thirteenth. I don't want to give you spoilers for how that one ends. <laughs> You've had thirty years. How many sequels? Oh man, <laughs> plenty. All the way to the to space. Oh wow, to space, to hell, and back again. Before we continue, let's dive into movies we've watched. Movies watched in the past week. Did you watch anything? You go to the theaters. Uh, did you watch? Oh, I remember last time we talked. You talked about Night School. Did you ever go watch that film? No, didn't get a chance to go and, and, and watch that. Me and a buddy we were gonna we were gonna go see it, and then it just it just didn't pan out. And I didn't get a chance to go during the the week. Um, what I did do, I, I wrapped up Daredevil season three, and for those who uh, watched that on Netflix, uh, man, this Was it this good? this might this might be my favorite season. I, I, wow. All I can say is I, I like all three seasons of Daredevil. Wow. I think I think the second is better than the first, and it's it's the, and this season is good all the way through, and every character gets their shine. Hmm. So Daredevil gets his shine, played by Charlie Cox. Wilson Fisk, obviously by Vincent D'Onofrio, Fisk. he gets his shine. Um, a new a villain is introduced. Uh, those who are f- um, familiar with the comic books. Um, by the name of Point Dexter, which is all I'll say. Great uh, cartoon, introduced. by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Inventory. <laughs> um, but also Karen Page and Foggy Nelson, they get their shine. Like, and it's and they introduce a new, a new, another new kind of main protagonist within the series uh, for this season, I should say. That really kind of helps tie things together. But mm-hmm. it's it, just, it feels well written, well done. Here's okay. Here is the measuring stick for me. I got I got so far in the, the the episodes were so good to me. Yeah. That after one episode would end, I li- literally would double check the timestamp and say, "There's no way that was 55 minutes." 
<laughs> it felt like 30 minutes. Wow, they had 55 you. 55 minute episodes felt like 30 minutes. And that you. like never happens for me. Like, I, usually, in, usually 55 minutes or 45 minutes feels like that amount of time. Right. This thing was coming and going. I was like, there's no way. There's no way that was. And I'd look, <laughs> oh my goodness, what? It wasn't just I got lost in lost track of time, but the episodes did not feel that long, which is um, not always the case, with, especially on the Marvel Netflix. Sometimes those last you know, four or five episodes mm-hmm. when you get to 13 can just kind of drag this did not it if it, I, w- I was just i was in dude i was in very 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 satisfied with season three of daredevil um and then also Dang, i think they their algorithm netflix's algorithm you know can probably t- dictate the writing because it's like hey people are falling off after this episode or after whatever they have like all the data and so maybe that's getting passed down to the writers for the next season so you would you would think that but then mm-hmm. we've got we've got Iron Fist, you know, <laughs> got think, canceled. Iron <laughs> Fist got canceled, but then also Luke Cage. I think got canceled also. I think Luke Cage got canceled because of Iron Fist. How about that? Um, was Iron Fist any good? I never seen one episode. I seen Luke season Cage one, first season. It's trash. Season one of Iron Fist was trash. I'm sorry, Netflix. Season one of Iron Fist just yeah. Iron Fist just sucked. And uh, I, I, mean, I heard about that universally halfway, like it was oh, terrible. Everybody, so. everybody was pissed. So they were, was, people were pissed about Iron Fist. It, like they just they didn't because it had the potential of being great, but yeah, because I mean people waited a long time, it, and it was a, like a long shot for him to get his get a show. Mm-hmm. It was like whoa, they're doing Iron Fist, and it just that first season just did not. It didn't work. Uh, second season, I got about halfway in. Now once I heard it was canceled, I'm like, oh, I don't care now. Like I don't, I don't care. Right. I don't care to finish watching it. Luke Cage. First half of the first of, of season one was really good. Second half drags a little bit. Mm-hmm. It still ends okay. Second season has some good episodes and some some good performances. The villain uh, Cottonmouth is is I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. Alfie Wood, her performance is awesome. Michael Coulter as Luke Cage. I've been I've been reflecting on this. I feel that I feel that they write Luke Cage kind of wrong as far as how he is in the comic books. And I'm not saying that the the show has to totally imitate the comic book but one thing I get tired of is the fact that they make make Luke Cage hesitant to really use his abilities to go all out he holds back he is far stronger and more powerful but he plays this passive aggressive almost like he's on the defense yes he goes and cracks some heads here and there but as far as like just taking it to uh, the bad guys like he could in the in the comics Cage is like come at me bro like he, (laughs) he 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 runs the block and is very much so out there. Where his first season, Luke Cage, he's kind of hiding, and, and you know he's, he was never a cop in the comic books. He was just, you know, from the streets, false, falsely accused. So I think I think some of those things kind of water him down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but why he got canceled? Some are saying it's a different reason. They said Iron Fist yeah. because of Ray. They say they said it was creative differences. There's some there's buzz uh, that it was creative differences with Luke Cage. I'm like, really? You, you you're telling me you couldn't figure That's out creative out. differences? Yeah, yeah. yeah. another what's the to me like Luke Cage. I went off the first season, mm-hmm. and I was like clamoring. Once that was done, I was like, "Where's the second season?" Like I wanted it right then, right there. But too much, too much time has gone past, and more things happen. I'm like, "All right, I'm kind of over it." Yeah. Uh, but I really did enjoy the first season, and kind of reminded me of like New York on the cover in a way, where the, the live performances, you know, at the at the club and stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right. Uh, outside of that, the other thing that I that I that I've jumped into, and it's, it's not film, it's not. Uh, television show but it is production and that's Red Dead Redemption uh-huh. 2 and I mention this briefly because it's a game been in development for 8 years it's by Rockstar Games 
Represent. Now, here's the thing. Rockstar Games currently holds the record for the highest selling piece of media of all time, which is Grand Theft Auto 5. Yeah, I remember that. How long did that take a while insane. to develop as well? Uh, they probably worked on that. Um, I'd say probably six Probably six years or so because it because it came out during the uh, the the 360 and PS3 mm-hmm. era and then they then they ported it over to the PS4 and Xbox One. Yeah. Red Dead Redemption Two is the first current generation of this generation that Rockstar has made from scratch. And that's why again eight years in development, which is nuts because the first Red Dead came out in 2011. Which people loved. I love the first Red Dead. <laughs> ah, amazing game that takes you back. I mentioned this game because, from a sheer production value, thousands of lines—no, not just lines, pages. thousands of pages—the yeah. the, the 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 script, all the writing, uh, nuts. Or maybe maybe it's hundreds. Of, I might be exaggerating. It may it might be like eight hundred pages worth. Yeah. Oh. Maybe eight hundred. <laughs> Pages worth of, of script. That's still a lot, though, yeah. considering a long script is 120 pages or something yeah. like that. Yeah, a hundred over a hundred pieces of original music were scored wow. for this game. What's the budget? Did they say what the budget was? Like how much it cost to create this thing? Because that sounds expensive. That's a fantastic question. I'm scooping that up, pulling it right now. I wonder, if, I wonder if it'll actually pull that up on IMDb. So couldn't find the the the, the actual budget, but substantial resources. And when you see the the world. Of this game, like it, the the map is insanely large, and it's its own digital, pardon me, its own digital world. People are going about their everyday lives, doing stuff. GTA Five was immersive. This is super immersive as well, and it's paced. This is not a this is not an experience about mm-hmm. like being getting somewhere fast. It's about paced, taking it slow, building relationships. Wow, kind of a little bit of honor system within it, but. Just it's the the game is absolutely gorgeous. The the blades of, of grass caring for your horse. Like I find myself regularly making sure that I feed my horse, I I, I brush my horse and I, I pat my horse because the better you take care of your horse, the better your horse will take care of, course, of you. When a firefight breaks out, your horse is not gonna buck you off and run for the hills. It'll stay around. And you need a whistle for him to come and save you, but he'll be there. My my horse's name is thirty thirty. Of old Marshall Brave story cartoon back in the day. There you go. Nonetheless, if you want a, a fantastic uh, cinematic immersive experience, then um, look no further than Red Dead Redemption. Sounds like 2. sounds like a game that'll suck you in for quite a long time. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I woke up early this morning <laughs> because I stayed up late. I stayed up really late Friday into, into Saturday morning. Like I went to bed like at four. Is that right? Mm. Yeah, I went to bed like at four. <laughs> Friday morning into Saturday Dang. went about my day and I was I was I was dead tired by seven o'clock I like I crashed at seven p.m. but then I woke up this morning at three I got eight hours in I was refreshed <laughs> let's do this again yeah I watched I, I watched something it's like you live your regular world and then you go into a virtual world yeah. and live a life there I watched an episode of Black Lightning and I was like Red Dead we're going back into the old west boys I got some wrestling to do I'm gonna shoot somebody in the back today. Cause I remember, <laughs> I remember when Grand Theft Con came out, like just how and back then those graphics were rudimentary. It was it was different. Mm-hmm. Um, even that world was fun just to navigate, just to play around in the world, beat up random strangers. Like this is great. <laughs> Red Dead though doesn't give you any slack, man. Like I try to I try to avoid because the law 
man, the law, they will come after you. get into a, a scuffle, you shoot an officer of the law, yeah. and you get a warrant out. You got bounty hunters on you, dude. And yes. like for a whole territory, bounty hunters will be there. You, you, you know, go back in that territory, like you'll, you'll see them like waiting on you. I, I was like, I had to run across the border, man. <laughs> I had to do a border <laughs> run. I had to get to another side of town. <laughs> I've seen this man. Man, for real. And then you got to finally get money and go and pay your bounty. And so I finally got my bounty paid down so I could roam in the town again. And oh, man, digital life. Digital life. <laughs> How about you, man? What do you see? Speaking of digital life, I was really, really into animation. I've been studying animation. This is something that I want to do. I've been keeping a journal, writing some scripts, just kind of developing, you know, an original animation series but part of it is you know I'm, I'm drawing every day at least one my, my goal is one sketch a day it doesn't have to be great it's good just to get the mechanics back going uh, i still got a little bit of it i was like all right i'll be back in the day now I, like with the family i have like we have drawing time so we all sit down like back in the day laying on your stomach legs kicked up and just sketching everybody's just sketching that's and fun that sounds fun so my littlest one he's sketching he's like yeah this is you know he's drawing earth and all this stuff and my oldest son he's his character starting to look better i'm like okay i got storylines and everything i'm like okay So anyhow, so I'm doing that, but I'm doing that because I'm studying animation, like the software. I'm subscribed to the Adobe, the Adobe Creative Suite. Mm -hmm. And so they have a software, uh, used to be called Flash, you know, where you can create video games and animation, but they changed that. They rebranded it to Adobe. They got Adobe Animate and Adobe, I can't even think of the name of it right now, but it used to be called Adobe Flash. And so you're animating inside this Adobe Flash. Now when I look at cartoons, I see, I can tell if it's uh, like the Disney. Disney way of animating and they're important it, or if it's like kind of like a cheat way of animation. And, and as I look at PBS kids and all these other um, animations, I can see how they're using these little tricks to animate these characters. They're just creating it, putting it into the software and animating it in the software. So you no longer have to draw each keyframe. Each frame. Mm-hmm. The software is guessing it for you. It's called tween- tweening. I think that's what it's called. Uh, when the, computer software is actually guessing the frame so if a character starts at a squatting position then at the end it jumps up and down um the software can kind of dictate what it's going to look like in between then so fascinating and i mean all the stuff is readily available here i've done um in one of my previous jobs i got a little taste of it because i hired a graphic designer to create a world and then we imported a character and then there was a software called adobe animate where at the time it was like better being better tested and I was able to create a little a little cartoon and a little animation commercial, 30 seconds. Relatively quick. It took me a couple of weeks, but I think I'm bitten by the animation bug. Uh, I want to be like an animator like that, but I want to create the stories and the look and be like a creator of it and then kind of pass it on to the animator, the animators and get it financed. Do the legwork. There you go. Go do that. So anyhow, so I've been on YouTube just really looking at a lot of tutorials, um, looking at other people and how they animate. And there's quite a few, like, there's a lot of successful, like, young animators, you know, in their younger 20s, and they're on YouTube showing how they do their thing. And they, they're, like, on microphones like the ones we have for our podcast, doing the voiceover work, doing the animations, and the stories are good. Sweet. One guy I've been listening to, his name is Don, is it Don Pablo, Don Pablo the Sauce God, I think that's his name, Pablo Don the Sauce God, something like that. But he's been hilarious. It's, uh, yeah. Anyhow, so that's what I've been doing with this past week, just kind of studying animation, kind of working on my skills and doing something every day to write or sketch. Nice. So, yeah, that's it. That's what I was doing. Movies watched. All right, let's get back to John Carpenter's Halloween. Halloween. 
All right, man. This movie, is, I think, is very stylistic. Uh, some of the style I got out of this is, you know, it, it feels voyeuristic. The way that he's shooting, where you were kind of like behind over from the perspective of the killer. <laughs> yes. That's crazy. Also, um, with the, the gliding camera, uh, that's kind of like the, almost like the steady cam. They kind of use a camera that's called the Panaglide to do the same thing. Where you're just kind of roaming like the voyeur, just flowing, following through and seeing what Michael Myers is doing. Um, and then also with those anamorphic lens, it's kind of giving a more cinematic feel and it's very wide. Uh, from a stylistic standpoint, uh, what, what did you get out of this film? Uh, stylistically, also, I agree. Seeing the the use of the, the panel glide, this, is, this was kind of one of the earlier introductions uh, to kind of bring it into mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said it, it was a lot of the shots in the film were highly influenced by, excuse me, Touch of Evil by uh, Orson Welles. It took influences from that. Definitely the uh, constantly seeing the perspective of the killer, that that the the sense of being watched is yeah. like continually throughout. But it's not just the shape on Michael Myers, but it's also Laurie, uh, Laurie slash Jamie Lee Curtis's character. They're often watching, watching what's going on because she even she sees him a couple times. She's like. You know, like she sees him outside mm-hmm. of the, you know, outside of her, her classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, she looks back and he's disappeared. Yeah. And he says like an Alfred Hitchcock kind of trick. Yeah. And that's in and of itself <laughs> is just creepy. Uh, like just <laughs> like, but now I saw it, you know, and then, you know, or, or the kid, you know, the kid <laughs> seeing him, the boogeyman, you know, the boogeyman, he's there. You know, you stop it right now. You know, just. Not being believed when you're telling people what's what's going on. Just a uh, just a, a interesting side note is with Jamie Lee Curtis mm-hmm. again the fact that she you know, the tie in also to Hitch- Hitchcock that her mom was was in oh, yeah. the movie Psycho. Yeah, uh, was one of the, the top billed actresses in Psycho. Again, won't won't spoil anything for those that haven't seen the film yet. But uh, yeah, I didn't know that was her her mother and of course her father being Tony Curtis. So Janet Lee and and, and, and Tony Curtis being Jamie Lee Curtis's folks. They say that this film was actually originally that it was panned by critics uh, when it first dropped. But yeah. then one critic gave it glowing reviews. And for whatever mm-hmm. reason, that changed kind of the, the flow, the perception, reception by mm-hmm. others after the fact. So one one good review. Um, but also even even the, the original name. They said originally this was, gonna, this was being called the, the Babysitter Murders. <laughs> wow. How differently would this have been perceived or even those who would have gone and viewed mm-hmm. it was called all the babysitter murders i don't think i don't think we'll have the same success yeah, and murder in the title yeah and now that you you put the name halloween attached to it then it it becomes synonymous with every year with that time of true the year that was and it, smart for marketing yeah and it came out october 27th of 1978 and at the recording of, of this podcast we have the official sequel in theaters right now yep crushing uh it had a huge Dang. huge opening opening weekend it didn't get well, it i wonder numbers. what the reviews are saying get it's a little more brutal in the first one themes um the importance of having a theme in your story um I know we talk about it, but the reason we bring it up and I'm going to do a quick definition of a theme just because having your film grounded, you have the plot and everything that's happening with your characters and all that. But having something that's in the background that's kind of pushing things um, along where it's like a vibe that you get over a feeling. 
Um, so according to this, um, the theme is it's in the story. It's like its underlying message. It's like the, what's the big idea of it? And it can kind of transcend cultural barriers. And it's like uni- usually universal in nature. There's a book called Save the Cat by Blake, Blake Snyder. And they kind of break it down a little bit more. For the filmmakers that are listening to this, they're interested in writing and how to put these things into your into your movies so example uh there was a movie johnny depp was in it was called blow it was about drug trafficking things like that and blake snyder says in his book that sometimes you can actually have a character say what the theme is Mm -hmm. so in that movie twice his his dad would say hey son you know money isn't real you know he said at the beginning of the film and he said it towards the end of the film money isn't real because if you've seen the film it's about drugs. You know, he's always, you know, he's had more than enough money. You know, he could have got out the game, but for whatever reason, he keeps just getting more and more and more. He was trying to get his son to realize, like, you're doing this all for nothing, basically. Mm. And that's kind of like an example of your of a character kind of slipping the theme out, uh, a theme of the story. To me, the theme that I got out of this particular film is evil can get you even if you think you're safe. And mm. you have uh, the doctor... At the beginning of the film, when Michael Myers escapes, he says, evil is getting away. And so you can kind of have like your characters kind of tell you in a way what the theme is of the film. I agree. They often they often refer to Michael Myers or the shape as a they say that he is a a force of nature, Mm -hmm. that he is he is like the he is like the he is like an incarnation of evil. And even the doctor says that when he looked into the eyes <laughs> yeah. of that child. And, right. Uh, by the way, this is filmmaker commentary. Yes. There will be spoilers. spoilers. When he looked into the eyes of that child, <laughs> he said he saw nothing but evil, no remorse, no regret. And the whole opening of, of the film, when it fast forwards so many years later, the reason, reason why this doctor is even going to this facility is, is to transport Michael Myers to a, a place where he can be locked away from society forever it's just by happenstance and, and movie MacGuffin that he gets out and returns to town yeah but uh it's fascinating that john carpenter says in his own experience in college he went to a, a mental institute uh, on a visit while in college and he looked into the eyes mm-hmm. of a boy that he saw pure evil behind those <laughs> eyes and that's always stuck with him. It's fascinating when you hear from these directors and creators sometimes True. what the genesis and the birth of these characters are. Yeah, for your filmmakers out there, um, you know, use your personal experiences. You know, what Casey was saying with the devil's eyes <laughs> and that, that happened to the director. So if anything, you know, whatever's happened in your life, jot it down and use it into your stories and makes it more grounded. And I wonder, like, when the, the killer, when he, I mean, the, uh, the villain, when he's on the ground, shot up. Like really, you're just gonna get up like that? So having to be a incarnation of evil, okay, that's the only way that's gonna explain that because you ain't getting shot, stabbed, and all of a sudden you're getting up and you're good. Well, even when I mean the guy was, I mean he was stabbed in the in the eye. Uh, yeah, he, he, he's he was stabbed multiple times by by Jamie Lee. Like mm-hmm. she she got him. She got some good shots in. Yeah, uh, but here's one thing, kind of. Side note: I, I noticed that that he that he does one. So at towards the end of the film, when they mm-hmm. have the shot, it's a close up of her. He's in the background, laying by the closet. She's already stabbed him the, the second time. She got him right, like right in the heart. It seemed, and he he sits up, boom, straight up. That's where the Undertaker got his his thing from ah. in the WWE when he when he does the sit up thing. Him and Kane both. I was like, and we saw the Reanimator as well. Remember. 
Yeah, the mm-hmm. boyfriend getting up under the sheets. <laughs> Boom, rising up. I'm like, I saw them like Undertaker, Undertaker, right there. Interesting, right there. And also in that same scene, she throws the knife away again. She's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and that's one of those things that the audience member be like, oh, come on. Like she messed up the first time. She messed up the first time. She Downstairs. threw the knife away. And Jamie Lee in the commentary mentions that she felt like it would have been better if like he did a close up to see the reason why her motivation for throwing the knife down was that she was disgusted. You know, this is the same knife that killed her friends. She's it's in her hands and she's disgusted. She's like, I can't, you know, whatever. She freaked out. The first time I can see it when she's on the couch, I, I see her disgust. The second time I'm like, girl, you know better. Yeah. And and she can't, you know, hey, yeah. it wasn't a script. Yeah, she even says she's do? like, I got she's like, I can't I can't defend that second one. <laughs> that was just kind of dumb. Yeah. Because when she gets it back in her hand, she's like, all right, good. You got it back. Stab him. Got him. And then she throws it again to the side, and he's rising up. Like, oh, okay, we just don't learn. Mm. But they say in horror films, characters have to do things that we don't want them to do that keeps us that keeps the suspense going for us. Even when we get upset at them. Oh, don't go downstairs. Oh, don't trip and fall. Oh, don't throw away the weapon that could help you fight. Yeah. That builds the suspense for the next the next part puts them back in the position of of danger oh you know true don't get rid of the cell phone like they mm-hmm. but they have to find a way to put them in the position because mm-hmm. there's so many ways to escape from people killing you right mm-hmm. but characters have to be true. conveniently there, there was a sequence uh, me and my wife were talking about this um, the lady that, that was, uh, her friend who was just trying to hook up with her boyfriend or whatever but like uh, she had to get out of her clothes this is just a thing of horror films you know you gotta get the girls naked some kind of way and how are we gonna do this without seeing obvious Deborah did a good job she's like well we wouldn't and this is like a <laughs> she was like kind of defending in a way but I was like come on it's, it's the nature of the genre but you gotta find a way to get her into some scantily clad clothes and it was like she raced the butter on her clothes and so now she has to go wash her clothes but also too they got to get her into another situation so that she's vulnerable and i know we talked about that on uh ridley scott's alien getting someone from one end of the spaceship to the other end of the spaceship you got to give some kind of motivation so in this particular situation it was there's butter on her clothes that's a reason to get her into something else and away from the house for a little while the suspense the theme of suspense throughout yeah because it is aside from the kill at the very beginning Mm -hmm. it's quite a while until we see another kill true in the film Mm -hmm. you know we see we see him stalking his prey that that character, she goes a while before she is killed. And even the whole time while she is in the laundry and the door closes behind her and she gets locked in, you're like, oh, he's going to get her. Oh, he's going to get her. Oh, he's going to get her. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't you know, happen I was, then. I was expecting it too. Like, this could be a perfect time for a killing. Right. And they, but they, they play against that and they make you wait. And it's not until she gets into, the, gets into her car and she's in there and she looks... Just for that brief moment, notices why are the windows kind of foggy? And like I, I didn't notice until she knows. I'm like, oh yeah, oh no, <laughs> and then is it? Is it? You're done. It's almost too late. You're done. And so, uh, yeah, but the, again, the suspense that that build up. I'm like, that was that was well that was well done. Um, His killing technique is pretty good too. You know, he's strangling them so he, they don't scream and then stabs them. Ah, I hadn't even thought about that. Like, oh, yeah, question of the larynx. Yeah. And so, speaking of of being brutal, uh, the producer Deborah she she makes a point that mm-hmm. again, this is kind of using a Hitchcockian technique, where the film isn't overly 
gory as and, far and as like all. blood splatter things and like all. that you you have you know well done directing and editing where True. you have the the initiation of the action of the of the kill like a knife stab and then you see mm-hmm. maybe your brain thinks that it you're seeing it but you don't yeah and i was actually surprised at how unbloody the movie was Mm-hmm. I was expecting it to be gory because that's kind of like what you know what we're seeing nowadays in films is like the more graphic, the more violent. And it's like uh, this isn't even entertaining anymore. I appreciate when they pull back, yeah. Let my let my brain go to work a little bit. I I I really do appreciate that. There's, I mean, the goriest thing maybe when he pins that guy to the to the door, and that's the first time you see like a graphic kill like that. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, when he's stabbing you, first off, your your view is blocked by the mask by the that mask. we're seeing. And then the stab, the camera like pulls away and then comes back to her after being stabbed. Mm-hmm. And so you just see her reacting to being stabbed. And the sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, you're right on that. Your brain makes you think you're, it's more violent than what it really is. In Psycho, Hitchcock, the, the famous shower scene. True. That is exactly what they do there. So like, many cuts, man. Mm-hmm. For that one. Oh yeah, oh yeah. People, I mean, the I guess even like the ratings board that he worked with, like the, the actress wasn't even naked, but people like think you know that that she was. But it's all about it's how association, they, man. Yeah, like you saying exposition. It's like you're in the shower. Of course, she's naked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just, and the people were scared to take a shower after watching that film, like looking in the corner, like yeah, for yeah. real. You don't get it's no more. You don't get any more vulnerable than that. Yeah, you're totally right. You are you are totally right. Um, and again, that stuff was controversial. Even even honestly, even the I think uh, that this is the first film that either showed a toilet flushing or had the sound of a toilet flushing. Really, cycle mm-hmm. uh, or this cycle? Oh, cycle. Yeah, cycle. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Random fact. Yeah, random. <laughs> <laughs> Toilets can be scary too. No, it's not, I don't know. <laughs> they mentioned Christopher Lee passed on the film and later regretted it. Yeah. I was just going to say, sometimes people will believe in you now, and some people will believe in you later. Mm-hmm. That's how easy that to say. I I really wish I had been a part of your I film bet that you made do. a lot of money. That was my mistake. Yeah, because it helps everybody's career out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Um, all right, so here's some bullet points for our filmmakers. We already gotten to a couple of the bullet points. But Deborah Hill, who was dating uh, John Carpenter at the time, uh, she understood the power of spin and how to use certain things to market. So like you were saying earlier about like um, the Village Voice was a magazine that basically gave a positive view of this film. All the other critics kind of panned it and said, this is crap, whatever. But after the Village Voice gave it uh, like, hey, this one, this is a good film. Y'all might want to recheck this one out. Mm. Then all everybody kind of got in line. But she also them comparing it to Psycho and then her being able to to tag the cycle thing with Jamie Lee Curtis's background and being able to spin it into something else. That's true. Deborah Hill was was the voice of reasoning in that. That was a reason for casting Jamie Lee Curtis and uh, John Carpenter. That wasn't his first choice. Right. Yeah, she wasn't his first choice, mm-hmm. but it ended up working out. And even even going against kind of the type of what you would expect your your um, your protagonist to be as far as dressing Jamie up and putting her in, in such a way that made her look more plain, very, very plain, very com- comely. You know, yeah. um, she wasn't, you know, the, the super hot, you know, girl like her or some of her. She has a unique look. It's uh, yeah, she has a very unique look. It is not what you're a bombshell. So. Well, again, later on, man, Jamie Lee Curtis, mm, she's got it going on. There's movies in the 80s like, man, I, I love her, her short hair in, in the 80s. <laughs> I love that look for her. Yeah. But in this film, she is very much so. 
girl next door. Mm-hmm. Uh, they referred to her as a virgin like multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and her friends, you know, they're out just being teenagers, exploring, just pushing the boundaries. Yeah, but they all, I mean, they all feel like, you know, these are just teenagers, you know, it's kind of, you know, she, she's in the, and she's not totally innocent. She's in the car literally smoking pot with her friend as they pull up to her friend's police officer father uh, as they get in, into shenanigans. But, but yeah, spin, 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 spin. Rain and the the glide cam or panty glide uh, kind of set up the mood, and also it's a it's a way using the rain and this glide cam is a way to cover up and give yourself some style for a low budget film. Use these different moods in order to do that, and and also um, for example, they were in a the professor and the nurse. They were in a car together. You don't see any shots on the outside that were in the inside. And you just see the water falling down. It kind of sets the mood of what's going on. Now, if we had a bigger budget, she said, you know, you'll see different angles outside and all that stuff. But stayed inside. There was a couple of mistakes in the film. I I noticed, like, in the background, like, there were some shadows of, like, some crew members a couple times. And then one was, like, there was a jump cut when um, they're on the little, maybe they were on the dolly track. And this is showing the kids coming out of school right before they're bullying the guy. They're saying, like, He's going to get you or something like Boogeyman's going to get okay, you. That's a, and he drops a lantern. Yeah. And the kid drops and falls on the pumpkin. But when they were coming out, the glide cam is going dolly track to them. And then it just jumps. It's like it stops and then goes to another like almost it's still wide, but it's a closer wide. But it doesn't match right. I don't know if that was like a mistake that was in per- on purpose. But he didn't do that a whole lot of times in this film. So it was like it felt like a like a jump cut that wasn't intended. Mm. And maybe it's, maybe it was too long of a take, and they kind of didn't hit the mark because it seemed real dark. They were like way back in the shadows when they were coming in. They didn't match up right with that glide cam. They were too far back by the time the glide cam, the dolly track got there. But when they cut, it was like. Uh, there were some mistakes in the film. Hey, but just roll with it. It's a horror film. They even talk about making sure that you you capture transitions when and however you you can. You, mm-hmm. you never know when something may not quite be working right. You need to get from some 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 one scene to the next. So mm-hmm. capturing and getting enough footage where you can have extra extra coverage for transitions. They also mentioned that as uh, traditionally filmmakers capture their master shots and then they pick up additional coverage. But mm-hmm. when you're working on a smaller budget, you have to tell the story kind of while while you're on set and try to get in as much as you can with the mm-hmm. time that you have. Maximize your, your daylight, your cast, and your crew, and just, yeah, get what you can while you can. That's very smart. I heard uh, John Singleton on his commentary of Hustle and Flow. He was teaching the director. I think it's Craig Brewer. Chris Brewer. I think it's Craig Brewer. Um, he was telling him, just get the shot. You got to get the the main stuff. Get that first because you might run out of day. So if it's two characters talking, get that master shot of both of them talking. You don't know what's going to happen. You may not be able to get that close up or the pretty shot. So get get the stuff. Then maybe you can come in later and get all the pretty cutaway shots and all mm. that stuff. But anyhow, that's you know coverage. You know, making sure you're covered. They mentioned how John Carpenter he he allowed Deborah to shoot um, a second unit shot of the girls in the car, them talking to each other. It was a transition scene. It's important to find somebody that you can trust to shoot these stuff because for whatever reason he couldn't shoot it, um, and he trusted her to go ahead and knock it out. And they were basically just improving. Yeah, it was her, and uh, I think she had a cameraman with her, mm-hmm, camera operator. And she directed yeah, it. They just made it happen. Also, from an effects standpoint, you know they shot this thing in Pasadena, California though it's supposed to have taken place in Illinois. The, the <laughs> movie takes place in Illinois mm-hmm. in in October. 
if they hadn't said anything, I wouldn't have known Me any, any any different. Never and been there, so I would have been. Uh, they did simple things and effective things like having like uh, two fans there, two really big fans, having raked up a whole bunch of leaves and just letting go of the leaves and letting them blow around and look like they were like falling down off the trees. Yeah. And then afterwards, they would go and they'd rake all the leaves <laughs> back up, put them back in the bags to use them again for the other takes and other that. shots. Yeah, I'm like, wow, that is. That's dedication right there. But that's preparation and, and making the most of your budget. And they had to shoot around the palm trees in California. And uh, Jamie Lee, she was like, if we shot in Illinois, all these trees would be dead. Like, there would be nothing on them mm. if we really shot there. Part of just creating your own world. That's right. And audience response to seeing themselves in the movies. You know, you got, you're got you talking about teenagers pushing boundaries. So that's part of the reason why this movie was so successful, because you're seeing people were seeing themselves in this film. Also, Jamie Lee Curtis talks about how, like, the clothes uh, for actors out there, the clothes kind of help you fall into a character a lot. You know, they went to JCPenney and got her this little just, like, dorky outfit that matched perfectly like the catalog says. <laughs> just looked like she was... T- Dressing too old and conservative for her age. Mm. The stockings way up, got the sweater with the cardigan on top of it, and with the holding the books with both hands. She she had it down. Also, man, we're talking about horror films, so understand the nature of violence and like the impact it can have. The producer actually said things have probably gone too far from filmmakers this day. Um, you know, next week, for example, we're going to be listening to and Saw, Saw, which is a complete. Slasher film, from what I understand. Very, yes. Very, very, uh, far more graphic than <laughs> than Halloween. We'll just a little bit. Just, just a little. They mention how horror is a universal language. That along with, we can relate to running away from a dog or being scared of like some beast or something like that. Um, that you know, there's horror in that, you know, this beast of a character killing everybody or action. You see in the conflict, them fighting each other. Uh, it's a universal language. Well, fear. I mean, fear... Yeah looks the same, I think, within any culture or language. A scream. Right? right? Yeah. Death. Yeah. You can even hear All the little animals. Universal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that scene of the dog that they right. have where he's choking. The, the fact they they slowed it down. Yep. Super, super, super slow. I was like, that's fascinating. You yeah. kill a dog, I mean, you, you that, that just... You lose viewers these days. Well, I mean... I, th- I think it, it it sucks people in. If you're in, you know, halfway through the film, it's yeah. like that happens. You're like, oh, no, you know, <laughs> this guy's truly evil. Yeah, you know, you not killing doggy. It would have oh, been funny if he not funny. It would have been uh, entertaining to some people. He would just like kick the small dog and he was like, what, punting him like <laughs> yeah, Baxter like, off yeah. of uh, Anchorman. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Just and because it kind of goes with the character uh, of this guy, just how evil he is. You know, he's he basically this dog. It's like a canine. You know, can take out people the way he was barking and stuff. But no, yeah. not Michael. He just picks it and strangles the dog. That's wild. That's, That's that that tells you a lot about his character. Dead on the inside. <laughs> dead on the inside. <laughs> but the way they just played it, though, it's showing the the dog's hind legs and just them slumping down. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Man, that's all they show. But you just you can you can just you can imagine again. It leaves your mind to imagine, you know, the upper part of the dog just going limp and and, and re- restless, breathless. It's like, oh man, this guy's. And how they shot it basically they slowed it down, but it's the the actor. He's basically he he picks up the dog. He just picks up the dog by its arms under the armpits and then brings it back down. 
Mm-hmm. And while he's lowering him down, that's the part that they're slowing to make it seem like he just killed the puppy, the dog. It's, it's, so it's it brilliant. Works, it man. worked. It really does work. John Carpenter talks about his instinct as a director, and he gets all his instincts from, from watching other films. Yeah, basically what we're doing every week. Yes, sir. Know the difference between vulnerability and sexuality. Mm-hmm. In this film, they try they tried to use nudity to to portray vulnerability at the end, especially some of the last couple of 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 kills. You know, after these teenagers have you know been intimate, they are stripped down, exposed. You know, it's fascinating when when, when Laurie's second friend, when she's expecting to be her boyfriend, who comes and, and shows up in the doorway with the sheet on, wearing wearing the boyfriend's glasses, which is even creepier yeah. by um, by Myers. But maybe, you know, maybe there's a whole theme within him that he likes to dress up. Because he obviously was dressed, he was dressed up as a, was it a clown? Yeah, he was a like kid. It, yeah. Dressed up as a clown then. He goes and finds this William Shatner white mask. I didn't, didn't for, even know that was William Shatner. Yeah, that's a William way Shatner. Off, way that's off. a William Shatner <laughs> mask painted white. That's what they used for, for Michael Myers' mask. So gross. <laughs> but he's got that. And then you know, in, in this you know, kind of last kill, no one of the, one of the final kills of the film, he's got you know the white sheet on like a ghost, and then you know the, the glasses of the guy he just had slain uh, as he approaches her and uh, something else. Yeah, so know the difference between that sexuality. A lot of people like to be up in arms when it comes to sexuality, and she talks about censorship and how there was a scene where the her friend. Is like trying to get out the window, and they show like her and her panties uh, trying to get out, and that was being that was cut for like a TV to be shown on TV or something like that. I don't know if the nature of it. I don't think it was like sexual, but it, I mean, at the end of the day, it's someone's panties and butts in the air, so it's like in your window in a way. Sometimes it's just you're dealing with censorship versus like a real reason for cutting things out. This genre, you just kind of got to get used to that, I guess. Yeah, it is. There is a lot of it in every. I mean, honestly, every horror film that we've We've reviewed, there is, uh, especially, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, a lot of, I mean, there's nudity on both parts, but definitely a lot of uh, female nudity through, yeah. throughout. But again, if, if played for, I guess, the sake of vulnerability, it can kind of make sense. But you, you find, the, the, at times, the comedy, the nudity, and the horror. Halloween doesn't have any comedy. I mean, this is just, this is just horror. This is just suspense. <laughs> Have no fear when you work in this genre. Um, I know some actors are concerned at how they may be coming off. Like, I want to be likable. I want to be this. Da, 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 da. But as a filmmaker, uh, embrace whatever genre that you're working in and understand that you're going to have people that say whatever. You know, they're going to say, you know, the horror is put in, in the same category sometimes as porn and it's like ghettoized in a way. Uh, but it's one of those genres where if you hit the right tone or it gets out there and it becomes commercial success. A lot of people can actually relate to the horror thing, but there's some elements in, in horror films where some people can kind of be uh, hypocritical. That's the word. People could be very hypocritical when it comes to uh, things like that. And for example, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis talks about like, she's done like six exploit quote unquote exploitation films. That's right. That's right. And she said she didn't feel exploited at all in this film. Like, Honestly, in my brain, when I thought about Halloween, because I'd never seen the film, I was like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis is going to be running around naked and stuff like that. Didn't happen. Not in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she said once she wanted to do the bigger studio films and cross over and do something more serious, 
that's when she felt like she was exploited the most. To be right. taken seriously, she had to be naked a lot more. I remember seeing Jamie Lee Curtis uh, nude in a couple of films and not knowing who she was. I'm like, who, you know, this, oh, that's Jamie Lee Curtis, but she's playing like this prostitute. Like in, um, I remember her in Trading Places, she was naked in that film. She was playing a, pro- a prostitute hmm. in that film. I was like, that's probably what she was, you know, one of the films that she was referencing to because that was a big studio film. You had Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, all that stuff. I'm like, oh, but she felt exploited by those people, but not in the exploitation film. So that's the, that's the irony of it. The twist. Yeah, it's... She had to be naked and be and play a prostitute in order to be accepted in the system. In the system. I find it fascinating nowadays when and how nudity is used in different films. Sometimes sometimes it annoys me. When I see just like a, a sex scene that doesn't, that doesn't have a real purpose behind it, I'm like, why, why is this here? If it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Nah, anyway, it's a whole... Thing that's a whole thing. But, when is it appropriate? You know, in in relation to the genre, you know, John Carpenter and Deborah both they kind of mentioned that that horror should be respected. As you were mentioning earlier, some some want to put it in the same category as 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 as, as porn, but there are always elements of truth within horror. Like we mentioned earlier, John Carpenter's own experience with with horror. With Nightmare on Elm Street, um, and before that was before that was writ, writ, written by Wes Craven, I, I, I read somewhere that he saw this guy outside of it when he was a kid. He saw this guy outside of his window. Uh, he may have been a homeless guy. He may have had a a, a, a a sweater that was black and red, or black and or, or red and green, or whatever. And he saw this guy in, in the alley right underneath his window, and the guy just looked up at him. You know, and like he kind of, I guess he felt him look at him, looked, looked up at him, and like this, that, that moment, that stare, like just freaked him out. And I don't know if that stopped him from having or being able to dream or have or go to <laughs> wow. sleep, but that was kind of the the birth of Freddie in the back of his mind, just that that experience, that truth, wow, that he experienced. So, yeah, so there there is a place for for horror. I think horror and suspense. Well, again, whether it's a suspenseful like this or even. You know, some that are a little bit more extreme now with the the splatter movies slash, you know, someone call it torture porn, which does, that's like, that's directly tying in. You can call it torture porn, which I don't, I'm not a huge fan of that, of that word, but uh, that phrase, I'm like, it's okay. It's just, it's just extremely gory. Right? Torture porn. But it, it's like, uh, like the knockoffs. I think having uh, seen the movie Saw, but from what I understand, uh, what people were saying is that people have taken that and created their own thing where they're just torturing people and that's the story you know that's how how graphic can we be how like hostile not necessarily because i thought that's what hostile was trying to do Mm, i assume that's what it according to eli roth he wanted to take how um rephrase what you're saying so i can make sure i'm answering i thought that's what what hostile was doing that it was like taking people and dismembering them and and destroying them breaking them down in in the most graphic way mm-hmm. possible no not in the first one um it was so basically he wanted to explore like things like the dark web like people like if if you have enough money mm-hmm. and you're a multi-millionaire being or whatever you can get anything you want in the world you can have anything you want what's the one thing that you can kind of pay for and and uh that's illegal and you can kind of get away with and you know what what's one rush that you want to have and that thing is I want to be I want to be able to kill someone and get away with it. Mm. And so it kind of explores that thing. And so what if you were part of a club and you can murder somebody 
and get away with it. And it, it was based on a real story because Eli Roth saw there were some websites out there where people in Thailand, they were, in order to raise money for their family, somebody was going to go get killed or something like this. Whoa. And, yeah. So, you know, exploiting. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so, That's so, heavy. so, yeah. Uh, so that story is kind of building up until, you know, until they get into the hostile thing. But the whole story isn't about that. The whole story isn't about, like, how, how much can we kill and, you know, that. Some people just do the torturing and that's the story. <laughs> you know, we got our new film. That's a good point. That's a good point. And, and those films created the torture porn <laughs> subgenre. Yeah. yeah, subgenre. <laughs> but fortunately with this film, again, it's a lot of holding back. Uh, it's not super gory. It's a little bit of blood. Nah, but it's it's not. He missed quite a bit when he was trying to stab Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm like your your aim's a little off today, sir. It was uh, earlier in the movie. You were killing people easy. He's just a little tired. Okay, he's been out of practice. Evil doesn't he, rest. He learned how to drive a car and like that. Put just... some miles in. <laughs> so he's a little winded. <laughs> he didn't stretch. He stabbed him like you, you missed. Twice he missed her twice. He stabbed her and hit the couch. Mm-hmm. Then upstairs he stabs, but it kind of nicked her shoulder a little bit. Yeah, he got he got her good. But I, I like the fact that she's a fairly smart heroine. Yeah, you know she's not, you know, just the I don't know whatever you want to call it, whatever trope. Um, but she is she's fairly capable and she's trying to make moves and she's fighting. That's what I love that she is yeah. trying to fight back, even though maybe a losing fight. She's trying to fight back. And uh, I, I love that it's, he just keeps coming up until the up until the very end. And then there's a shot. She's running outside yelling, ah, help. I've had my own experience with this. Mm. A woman running outside yelling, help, help, help at the top of her lungs. It is not a good feeling to see this. No, I, I experienced that, um, yeah, as well. And I'll be honest, I was like, uh, 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 uh. I was in I was in my... I was at home, yeah, and I could hear it outside. And I, I mean, I, I called nine one one. You know, I, I part of me like wanted the, to. Were you like to, the guy in the door in the doorway that Jamie Lee went to? He was right there, like, yeah, I'm turning the lights on. What's going on? I don't know you. Nah, like, lights off. Help me. But she, yeah, it was like she was in a vehicle, and like, I, I hoped I'd be the guy that would run out there. Hey, what's going on? And I didn't, and I'm like, ah, man, I kind of felt bad. You know, I thought I'd be that guy to. Real life is different. Go out there. <laughs> Apparently, I was like, I, I'm not Spider Man. I'm just, I'm just Peter Parker. <laughs> I'm just uh, gonna call nine one one. Right. Keep an eye out. I don't have any special powers. Y'all better get over here quick. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. Plus, be real. Being a brother in America, you don't want to be in that same scene. Like you don't. <laughs> not particularly. <laughs> So what were you doing? I I, I live here. Can we see some ID? Yeah. What the? Yeah, we don't want to be in that same scene. I'm saying, but uh, yeah, I heard this lady run. This is not too long ago. This had to be like maybe a month ago. Yeah, it was one in the like one in the morning. I, I decided to be outside, cigar, just chilling, and <laughs> this lady's like, ah, help! Like bloody murder! Like help me! Whoa! I was like. Like, I thought it was like a movie. I thought somebody had, like, their movie on. Just, Looking for the camera. I was like, what is this? But it, like, she did it, like, 
it was like way in the distance. Then it got closer and closer and closer. Then I just see this lady running, no shoes on. Help me, help. And then she hits her left and she just keeps running. Did you see who just, or what was pursuing her? I'm like, what the heck? And then, I, then like maybe like 10 seconds later, this dude's like, I thought you wanted to drink with me. I thought you wanted to drink with oh, me. No. I'm like, he's went after me. And then I'm like, okay, we got to call the cops. Yep. Call the cops. Yep. And then, because um, she's waking up the whole neighborhood. Like, yeah. she did this down the whole block. Call the cops on her. There's a woman screaming. They, can you? The police probably got 10 calls because that's how loud she was. Oh, she, man. Can you imagine one o'clock, just a lady just running and you, at the top, Bloody Mary, help me. Oh. So I thought she would have. I thought she got shot or stabbed or done, but she didn't. She didn't. She was well lit when I saw her run. There was no stab wounds, no blood, anything mm. like that. She just looked crazy. Uh, and dude, like, I thought you was gonna drink with me. He's the fact that he's chasing after her. Like when somebody runs away from you, <laughs> you probably should let them run away. Yeah, that's what someone you know, unless they the owe scene. you money or something like that, or they're I don't know. I guess I, I don't know. If you think they pose a danger to themselves, but so the cops come up and when they see us outside, it's like, hey, did y'all see? I say, they went that way. Uh, he said, "Yeah, we pulled her over, but she said nothing's happening. He said she's fine. They nothing. She was kind of upset and belligerent and stuff like that. But she was high. Yeah, right? I was like drunk. Yeah, I was like man. And then like we see the guy like hiding behind some bushes and like trying to come back to the house they ran from. I was like this is odd. But I'm glad she wasn't injured or anything. But yeah, they yeah, were yeah. crazy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's the worst. Like you want to help me? Like let's see what happens." There's people yeah. that are trained to do this. Yeah. <laughs> trained professionals. That's what I thought. I when the like, cops gave up, then so did I. When the cops gave up, I was like, well, I'm not going to help. Like, he, she didn't want to be helped. He wasn't going to help. Come some slack. Come. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's just those, those realities of mm, movies are movies. <laughs> fantasy is fantasy. Yes, yes. In real and, life. Um, when you hear that, you don't want to go in the same direction that, that. Yeah, that's not a normal. Normal people don't do that. The citizens don't do that. Vigilantes. If you do. say fire or something, if there's another word, they're like fire, help, fire, and something like that. Sure. People are like oh, just out of curiosity, like what's this? Something's betting. Yeah. Like, something going we'll to bed. Watch people get like mangled on the street, and you know, see the car turned over, and like, hey, what's that? Do I need some help? You know, like you were saying about the car wreck, like. Uh, People coming to help, you know, assist yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Not if you're saying help and running, you know. Yeah, because there's there's happen. an immediate danger. It's getting like like you know. I should like, I be running too? Like, like kings of comedy. Get case of them. Get case of them. You know. <laughs> what are we running for, dog? What what are we running for? You know, just when people start running, you take off too. Yeah. I, you, know, you can find out later. Yeah. You what know there's imminent. <laughs> you know there's imminent danger. You get away from it, and then you get details after the fact. But other people. Mike, go, hey, what's going on here? Oh, oh, Jesus. Oh, oh, ah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, Natural Born Killers, that movie was referenced twice in this film, so it made me believe that maybe they were recording this audio around During the same the time. Yeah. And uh, Deborah kind of said, this is, or maybe it was Jamie, said that's more like a slasher film. Mm. Uh, and she's right. Like, that's torture porn with a story. Massacring. <laughs> bad but um can't think of the director right now that did that oliver stone boom he did that on purpose mtv style the way he was shooting was highly stylized it was the kind of uh it 
it was satirical and it also was a way of saying, hey, you know, what if you're consuming too much of this stuff and then it's news media and they're actually exploiting something serious that happened and playing it on the news over and over and over again just for ratings and stuff like that. What kind of, mm. you know, what are you doing? And because of that, you create killers that say, hey, we're getting famous because of this. Let's do some more stuff. Right. I, you know, that, that would be a fairly relevant, relevant film today. Yes. Still, as far as just like, it's just coverage or maybe you know killers having their own like youtube channel or whatever just trying to true get attention and hits yes popularizing criminal criminal behavior and intent and we're not we are not there there yet but pretty close who knows in the, in the years to come pretty close in the script they had like terror numbers so in order for jamie lee curtis to know like what level of intensity the terror should be at they gave it like a number um, and also, uh, along with that, kind of showing her vulnerability, it helped her in her acting because John Carpenter was saying it's not about um, she looked at vulnerability as like a weak mm-hmm. uh, as a weak sign. Um, but he was saying that the more vulnerable you are and allowing people to take whoever character you are in and you become more likable and they care for you more when you are that vulnerable character. Uh, and if they care, the movie works. Well, that's true. They want to feel that. They want to feel that connection to to that lead, where you don't want them. You don't want them to be hurt. You don't want them to suffer. You want. You do want them to win. Mm-hmm. In the end, I believed her as a lead. As a lead, I believed her. Um, sorry, but some of the other actors seemed a little weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, the one that was on. She spiked the camera. She spiked the lens. I seen it. Um, oh. <laughs> she was on the phone. Looking, the camera was like she's looking at us at the camera. But she wasn't supposed to be looking at it. Just like off a little bit. But she spiked the camera once or twice. Mm. Uh, it was the one with the white shirt on. I was like, yeah. One gets killed first? She's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> camera spiker. The bad, the acting, the worst acting is you're going to get killed off. Is she the, was, was she the first one? Yes. The brunette? Mm-hmm. 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 She was, she's somebody's, somebody's wife. I don't remember who <laughs> on the... And within the production, though, but she's oh, but she's, okay. she's married to somebody with who's okay, involved with the production. That just sounded funny. Uh, sorry, she's somebody. She looks marryable. Wife. <laughs> no, but she happened to be. She kind of had a Streisand kind of look to her. Streisand, mm. the young Streisand. Barbara. Mm-hmm. All right, no filmmakers, know your business. Now, they were. Deborah said that hey, they were inexperienced. They're naive. They were young. You know, they were the oldest ones on set. Thirty years old. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Jamie Lee was like 19 at the time, 18 or 19. Uh, so they're all young, just trying to just get it done, you know, for, three, of course, $325,000. And uh, that movie made 40, 50 million bucks. They ain't seen any of it. So for the next, they learned their lesson and did a part two to make up for the money they didn't get from part one. Yeah. I looked at the trailer. I don't know if part two is any good, but it didn't seem so in the trailer. But I understand why they went back and did it. Like, you know what? We've got some names. Let's capitalize off this and let's get the money we should have gotten the first one. Hey, right. nothing wrong with that. Getting getting paid. Getting paid. But I think also within that, when you're working with a, 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 a low budget, do not be afraid to ask for help and all hands on deck when when needed. I mean, actors were, were doing more than just... More than just their 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 lines, mm-hmm. you know, being able to help out in, in different kinds of ways, and um, with some of the with blocking and, and 
bringing things to set that might be needed. It just, yeah, they really had a conducive, almost like family-like environment on on the set, and they they seemed like they they loved it. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. The overall commentary, I think the commentary was, we talk about when you have more than two people on the commentary. Mm-hmm. This one seemed to work. Because they were rotating between the threes. So they could bring them in at different uh, different times to, to get point. their points out. And they weren't so there together recording it. It was just individually. Mm-hmm. So that maybe that's the secret sauce. Sometimes that don't even work. But, that's uh, true. That's true. But for whatever reason, it worked this time. I, I would I would definitely listen to, to more commentaries by John Carpenter. Yes. I, I enjoyed uh, technical was and what he had to say. He seems he's very. He's just like he seems like he's a very straight shooter. You know, just straightforward. And here is you know what I thought, what I was experienced, what I remember. Um, have you ever seen the thing? John no, Carpenter's the thing. Not yet. Oh man. I'm, I think um, now that I've a good one. Now that I've visited this one, I understand him, especially him being an independent you know director. Like I'm gonna start studying more of his stuff. They live is my top twenty thirty film. I've never yeah. watched all of oh. they live. Whoa. I've seen. Oh. Heck, I don't know if I've seen it from the beginning. I've seen part. I saw. I've seen the the fight scene with Roddy Roddy Piper. Oh yeah, I, I finally <laughs> caught that. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's a that's one of those film blind spots that I have. Yeah, that's one of those films that's just like for conspiracy theory kind of people. That's like that's the grab bag. Like, oh, that's the that holy one, grail. That's streaming somewhere. They live is streaming on some channel. Yeah, so I like that. I definitely like that. But um, if you're interested in John Carpenter stuff, I would definitely say check out um, Robert Rodriguez's series called The Chair. It's called The Chair. But anyhow, he's interviewing different um, directors that he looks up to. And John Carpenter was one. I watched all of them. And John Carpenter, and he's and he's asking questions about every single one of his movies, from The Thing, breaking that down, hollow, all these films. He breaks it down and talks about his musical scores and how he comes up with that stuff. And I know it's like all creative people, like we all pull from different things, you know. I'm interested in the music, I do music stuff. Um, definitely don't consider myself a composer, but I can put a melody together. Right, right, you know, but and it seems like for in musical scores, the more weird it is, the more you can kind of get away with this stuff, and it doesn't necessarily have to be right, especially if you're doing the horror film. Um, Mario, Mario Van Peebles, or is it Melvin? Which one's the father? Melvin. Melvin. He had to score his own films, and as an independent film director, we all know how how uh, expensive it could be to license films and to get rights and chasing people. You're like, you know what? It'd be probably just be easier just to try to take my crack at making some music. And just out of necessity, you have to do these things. Um, but at any rate, uh, yeah, if you're interested in any more Carpenter stuff, check out The Chair. I hope I'm saying the right series. But look up Rob Rodriguez. It's on the L Ray Network. Or if you just want to look at John Carpenter's, you can go on iTunes and all that stuff and just purchase it there. The more that we watch these horror films, I want to I want to make one now. Simple, especially like the independent ones. And like simple, this is simple. And you know, need a little bit of money, but it, like it can be executed easier than you know high drama comedy and some of this other stuff. I like horror films that kind of go against the trend, the trends of other of other horror films, and sometimes they're almost commentaries mm-hmm. on on horror, like Scare Movie, right? That was a commentary. That was a very on, smart film. Yeah, it's a commentary on horror films. Yeah, you know the things that you shouldn't do, and then that being the workaround. Now I feel like watching that again. It's been it's been a long time since <laughs> I've seen the original. Scream, and that just tells you the whole set. The guy is telling you the exposition, and giving you the whole setup of horror films. Like, oh, he's telling us the plot. Thank you, mm. <laughs> giving you introduction to the world of horror. But at any rate, the genre. Next week, 
we will be looking at the film Saw. That the Saw launched careers, man. They realized, I didn't realize James Wan directed. This guy's a this guy's a horror, yeah, <laughs> guru. Because he's got that. He's got the Conjuring series. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the man, though. Once all came out and they made so much money from that, they were just like, "What do, what do you want to do next?" Yeah, that's true. Uh, very, very true. Yeah, I'm not too thrilled for this all thing, but I do. I want to see the first one, the original one, because I know the intent uh, behind the vision of that is different than some of the uh, some of the sequels. Right, right. Sometimes they really nail it with the first. The first one, mm-hmm. and then because I don't know if he was responsible for the sequels, you know, I don't know if they brought in other people and he he decided to move on. Tune in next week as we cover Saw, and you can find us on you can find us on various outlets when it comes to filmmaker commentary. You can find us on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash filmmaker commentary. You can also find Reginald on Twitter at Reggie Titus also on Instagram at Reginald Titus Jr. and you can find myself at Instagram or on Twitter simply at Casey G Smith 32 you can also find us on iTunes as well as Stitcher Radio uh, other places where podcasts are streamed be sure to give us a like and a review we appreciate that also if you have any kind (laughs) of request for uh, any films you'd like us to uh, review the commentary for on filmmaker commentary please make sure that film does have a commentary and we would love to check that out and dive into it until next time peace peace